having had hits as a songwriter definitely gives me advantage as a publisher. I know what happens in a writing room. Um, I know when I hear something, I think, man, I wish I'd written that. It's probably pretty good. Uh, but it's good to understand, too, there's so much more to it than just talent now. I worked really hard and I worked really smart. Um, so it's just, yeah, having that knowledge has been really beneficial to me as a publisher. Hi, everyone. Thanks for stopping by the Nashville AIMP Pubcast. I'm your host, Michael McAnally-Bomb. I'm the secretary of the Nashville Association of Independent Music Publishers, and I'm the president of Smack Songs. Today's guest is John Osier. He's the vice president at Olay Publishing, and he's the AIMP Nashville chairman, which kind of makes him my boss in the AIMP world, so I always say good things about him. John's track record is extensive. He's boasted songs that he's pitched and then have been recorded by Garth Brooks, Tim McGraw, Jordan Line, Lee Bryce, Randy Hauser, Rodney Atkins, Ronnie Dunn, and way, way too many more to name. I spent a decade at a record company, and when I left Curb Records to go to AIM, to go to Olay, to jump into publishing, I thought it was important for all the independents to kind of bind together. And Mark Driscoll, who I guess is the general manager over at Seagale, he and Michael Martin at ASCAP talked me into running for the board. And I thought, you know, A, I probably won't get elected, but I'm going to do it. And got elected first year to the board. And then Mark shortly after stepped down and they asked me if I'd be interested in running to, to run the organization here in Nashville. And once again, I thought I probably won't get elected, but I'll, why not? And uh, so now I'm in my second term of running the AIMP, and it's been an incredible experience. I think we have some good accomplishments during your term, too. We have. We yeah. now have the largest membership of all three chapters. Of uh, all three. Nash or, so Nashville, Los Angeles, and New York City. You've got it. And the biggest membership is here in Nashville. So, yeah, it brings up that sense of community that we have here, too. So you were new. You were, weren't new to songwriting, but you were new to publishing. And so you got involved. Yeah, and I think it's important for the independents to stick together because when you get into some of these legislative issues, which we may talk about today, it's important for us to have a voice. Uh, when you're representing, gosh, over 100 independent publishers we represent at the AIMP, and some of them are more knowledgeable than others, but I think collectively if we bind together, our voice is big, bigger, if not bigger than the, than the majors, because a lot of the majors are really the ones controlling the conversation when it comes to rates, uh, with streaming rates, when it comes to other legislative issues, so it's important for us to have a, have a voice. Where's your gut on streaming royalties? What, what's happening with that? You know, it's it's a good loaded question. I mean, obviously, master ownership is seeing a, a significantly amount more money than we are as publishers and writers. But I think as as the market grows, I think you're going to see more income coming from it. And I do think rates will um, will be adjusted to you know to rightfully pay songwriters and publishers what they're owed. Because the reality is, without a song, you know, there's no musicians, there's no studio, there's nothing to promote. There's no music. There's no music. So I think once we can co collectively get together and have a voice, and I think you're starting to see that with the RIAA, with NSAI, with the AIMP, all of a sudden, all these organizations who typically had uh, different, you know, they had wanted to accomplish different things, all of a sudden, we're all talking now. Yeah. And once we can get a collective voice of what we want as the music industry as a whole, then we can get into the weeds and kind of start to work out some of the specifics. Another hot button topic that sometimes can get over, I'm sure my head and a lot of our listeners' head, are the consent decrees. What's your gut feeling on what's happening with that? You know what, hopefully they'll look at how we've done business consistently over the last several hundred years. I mean, this fracture licensing, it's a, it's a scary thing because it leaves publishers technically responsible for paying other publishers and when you don't have 
simple things such as addresses, tracking people down to know how to pay people. It's, I mean, that's what PROs do, and that's what they've done for the last several hundred years, and they should continue to be allowed to operate in that manner, in my opinion. And I think it'll get worked out. I think a lot of it is just people don't understand it. And when you're dealing with Congress who's dealing with issues on terrorism in North Korea, sometimes copyright law finds itself at the bottom of the pile. Uh, so I think we just have to continue to speak up and, you know, having writers in town who are having hits who have had songs streamed 18 million times in a quarter and are getting paid hundreds of dollars. I mean, people need to speak up. Well, it sounds like you're you're overall optimistic. I am. Are you kidding? We get to make music for a living? Um, yeah, I told somebody yesterday, I probably shouldn't even repeat it, but it's, you know, getting a number one. A, to be in a room when a song is written, that's great, is a miracle. To have it, your plugger like it and get it pitched is a miracle. To have it put on hold is a miracle. To have it cut, then to have it make the record, then to have it singled, and then to have radio react to it and the audience react to it and go number one is a miracle, but they happen every week. So it's pretty cool. We work in the business of when magical things happen. Yeah, I'm fired up about it. So I think it's safe to say that you understand songwriters. You love them. I do. You know, that's why I moved to town years ago. When I started in October of 2002 at Curb Records, I was still writing songs. And you remember I worked for Mike Curb, who was a hit songwriter, a hit producer, a publisher, a record label owner. He was an artist. He did all of it. So to be honest, I never knew you weren't really supposed to do all of the above. And Mike kind of always encouraged me to do it. And um, fast forward 10 years, almost to the day. I started as an intern in October of 2002. In October of 2012, I had my first number one as a songwriter. So people say it's a 10-year town, and yeah. I'm kind of living proof. Well, at Curb, so you kind of kind of this place where it's like, we don't have lanes, so we don't need to stay in them. Do you feel like that's what's happening right now, even for music publishers, as we're getting into artist development and master ownership? Yeah, the role of publishers has changed drastically in the last four or five years. A lot of the artist development is happening within the publishing companies. It's been a huge focus of what we're doing at Olay. I think right now, eight of the top 10 songs are artist co-writes. So to me, that says we need to be in the artist business. And so we went out and we signed a handful of artists and have been able to upstream 95% of them at Olay. And it just hedges your bet, you know, just because the number of outside songs getting recorded, they're just, there aren't that many anymore. And it's just cyclical. It's the way it is, but you have to adjust your business accordingly. Otherwise, you'll get left behind. When you're making your mix of your perfect roster, does it come into play how many? Obviously, they're all songwriters, but some of them have artist intentions. Yeah, you know how we sign people at Olay, it varies. You know, I, have, I feel like I have the best creative staff in Nashville with Mike Whalen, with Ben Strain, Emily Olson, Catherine Fogarty, Randall Foster. I mean, I would put them up against anybody in town. So with all those staff, I do, I feel like I have the best creative staff in, in Nashville. And we sign... You know, we're really methodical about how we sign because we don't sign everything. We have a relatively small roster in comparison to companies the size of ours. Um, to me, if I can get my entire creative staff to buy into a writer or artist, it's really never not worked because you're getting everybody pulling in the right direction. And if you can have a creative team all working to move that writer or artist agenda forward, it just continues to work. Um, we've been real methodical about how many track guys do we have, and is this track guy going to be more pop? Is he going to be more Jason Aldean leading? We don't need kind of two horses with the same tricks. We just we don't need that, so we're real methodical about it. But at the end of the day, if it's something someone's great and their songs are great and makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up, then we're going to do the deal. You readjust your model. So you've talked about 
assembling a world-class creative team that you're really proud of. And for a lot of our listeners, they are um, publishers who are just getting started and they don't know how to make those. You know, anybody with an opinion about music is very different than a... a in, how, what, would you, what kind of advice would you give when looking for candidates to fill those creative roles? Well, staffing up, it's to me, it's been the most important thing that I've done at Olay. Um, just like the way we sign writers and artists is how I've hired the people that work at Olay here in Nashville. Uh, Mike Whalen brings 35-plus years of experience and some of the best relationships in town. I mean, he's on the phone with the head of A&R at Warner Brothers and Universal and Sony day in and day out. Um, and he can pick up the phone and call Eric Church and Kenny Chesney and Keith Urban on their cell phones. Um, so Mike brings just that wealth of experience, and, and people trust him. Uh, ben Strain, in my opinion, has one of the best at finding talent, whether it be songwriters or artists. Um, he's passionate, and people really, writers tend to really gravitate towards Ben because he's hilarious, great personality, but people trust him. Um, Emily is our catalog person. She, When I was looking to hire that position, I called Jody Williams at BMI. I said, Jody, I've got to hire one more person. If you could hire anyone in town, who would it be? And he said, without hesitating, it would be Emily Mueller. I said, really, why is that? He said, she's a song aficionado. So I called mm. her and said, Emily, I'm looking at hiring a new song plugger at Olay. Would you be interested? She said, well, can I come hear the catalog first? I so love we, it. Great, great answer. Yes. And uh, so we sat down and listened to the catalog for about two hours, and then she kind of shy, sheepishly said, uh, you know, I think I'd be interested. And she's organized. She can sit behind the desk and connect calendars, but she's also our catalog person. So it's a good, diverse group of people with a group uh, a real diverse skill set. What do you love the most about your job? The music. You know, it's when you start, when you get to a position, I mean, I started out writing songs. Um, I was ended up running the A&R department at Curb, and we were having hits as a songwriter, as a publisher, as a record company. Um, but then you get to a point to where you want to run a company, and then once you finally get to that point, you're actually farther removed from the music than you've ever been. And I asked Jim Ed Norman, who's a longtime industry legend, I asked him that. He said, well, John, there's only a few people in town <clears throat> that can do the administrative work, that can talk creative, that have are willing to take on the responsibility and want to do it. And he said, that's why you see a handful of guys go from company to company that run these companies. And if I can remember that every day, every Monday morning, I think this is, I'm in this for the music. It makes everything a lot easier. It's a perfect segue to the converse question, which is, <laughs> what's the least favorite thing that sits on your calendar? Uh, you know what? There's, I love my job. I mean, to be honest, I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life and it's, there's no two days are the same. I mean, a lot of it, Olay, we've been really acquisition focused I mean, I think now over the last 12 years, we've spent over $600 million in acquisitions. So that part is fun for me just because it's competitive and it's you're getting a look at the analysis of these catalogs. And it really, it just brings it to, to you know, you can make a lot of money in this business. Yeah. And it's so the competitiveness is fun. Um, HR stuff I love. You know, I love working with the people at Olay and trying to create a team atmosphere. Um, so there's not a whole lot that I don't like. Yeah, human resources. If you would have thrown in, you enjoy the legal part too. I think you were a unicorn <laughs> on Music Row. Well, I, my father's an attorney, so I grew up around uh, it. That's all I deal with, basically. <laughs> when 
one of the things that comes up kind of consistently in these um, podcasts is how excited people get for even songwriters, artists that they don't even have a direct attachment to. They're just good for us. It's, they're good for our industry. Is there anyone who pops to mind right now who we all of our listeners should know about or Gosh, you're personally excited about? In terms of a writer, artist, <laughs> executive? Either any of the above. You know, there's so many people doing so many great things for our business right now. Um, you look at what Bart Herbison is doing at the NSAI, who is just a songwriter's advocate. Uh, I think the work he does in D.C. is really important to what we're doing. He understands the importance of bringing people together in education. Um, so I think what Bart Herbison does at NSAI is really incredible. Um, then there are the guys that have been doing it forever. Jody Williams is another one who I mentioned earlier who's at BMI, who also started as an independent publisher. Um, so yeah, that's that's the thing that makes Nashville so cool is everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction. And it's back to the AIMP, once again, why I think it's so important is that we've got to stick together. I mean, that's the key. What comes up so consistently in these, and I'm, I'm surprised to hear different publishers with different experience, all come back to they love their job, they love the music, and they're optimistic about what's happening for us. Yeah, that's it. At the end of the day, it's a musical emergency is the worst thing that could happen. I mean, it's competitive, and we're all trying to, you know, to do great for our companies and for our families. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're making music that's changed lives, and I've been lucky enough to have been a part of some records that I watch change people's lives in the coolest ways. And I think if we can all remember that, it's, it'll get us through. What are things that you would like to see the AIP accomplish even better than we are doing now? We talk about that a lot between the executive directors of New York and LA. And I think the first thing is we've got to clearly define what an independent is. And I think once we have clearly defined that, then it's making sure that we are, when Billboard's doing an article on consent decrees, they need to be calling someone within the AIMP because the companies that are represented there are incredible. I mean, some of the biggest, best independents in the world. Um, so I think you're going to see us uh, have a legislative voice, and I think you're going to see us commenting a lot more in public about that, um, just because a lot of everybody always tends to go to Universal and Sony ATV and Warner Chapel and BMG, and I think you'll see that change over the next several years, too. This Nashville AIMP podcast was brought to you by our friends at Anderson Benson Insurance, experienced locally owned brokers who take a creative approach to simplifying insurance and risk management. These guys are relationship people and they have the experience to understand all the aspects of our ever-changing industry. They prepare all their clients, including me, for their next level of success. I have all my insurance accounts with them, and Anderson Benson is an important part of my team. I have cell phone numbers if I have questions, and they're always available to help. Look them up at andersonbenson.com.